Dear brothers and sisters, whether you think you're a part of this family, whether you believe that or not, you are. So for just a moment, can you please let go of all your preconceived notions and everything you think you may already know of? Whether you've been raised in the church since birth or if today is your very first, I ask that you would at least hear these words. First, I'd like to remind you who you are. I'd like to remind you that you're not who you were. You're different. You've been changed. The fabric of your heart has been remade. The depths of your soul have been rearranged. You have been born again into a living hope, a hope that floats when the world is sinking, a hope that stands when everything else is falling apart, a hope that lasts my family. We have been born again into a hope at last. And no, we haven't earned this. We don't deserve this. But because of our God's grace and mercy, he says that we are worth it. He sent his son to die for you and I so that we could have eternal life. So now that you remember who you are, you must take action. Pick yourself up and stand in grace. Set your hope in the God that made you and stand firm in faith because this world won't take a break. It will hit you like a set of waves every single day. It will do all that it can to make you feel ashamed and afraid. It will burn the town that you grew up into the ground. It will throw at you hurricane after hurricane to take away all that you've made. It will leave bullet holes in this place that you've come to pray to try to shake your faith. But do not be afraid because you are different and you have to see suffering differently. You see, suffering is the refining of our faith. The more we stand in grace in times of pain, the more he gives us strength. And as we are purified, our purpose is redefined. We are the precious people of the one most high. Our lives should glorify and reflect his light. Our words should plant seeds of truth and peace. We should speak to the blind and say, come and see, there's a savior you have to meet. We should love fervently with outstretched arms, regardless of all that tries to harm us, because our lives will be lights that pierce through the darkness. We are set apart. That has to be more than just something we know. We have to live that out because we live in hope. We are a people who've been given a mission to bring our family home. So now go and be a living stone just like the living stone. Don't just stare at this screen and listen to me. You see, we have been called a people that do more than just preach from steeples and talk about the difference between good and evil. Your faith can no longer be see-through. You must unapologetically speak truth. You must stand up to this world, stand out in the crowd. Don't just talk about the gospel, live it out loud. There's no time to wait till later. Truth is, you've been called now. Well, today uh, we're wrapping up our study in First Peter, and that video, the word that Jake, our, our Danville campus youth pastor, just shared with us does such a great job of covering the major themes that we've discussed throughout this series, and it's a series that we have the opportunity to wrap up together today. On all of our campuses, for those watching online, and for all of you reading this through CF Inside, our brothers and sisters inside the incarcerated church, Will you all open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 5? And uh, once you get there, just hold your spot in 1 Peter 5, because before we really dig in today, um, I'd like to address something with you, if that's okay. Um, every year around this time, I, I start to catch wind of something emerging within people, something, something growing um, in people that I interact with. It, it's true for everyone all year round, but it seems to just be more prevalent when the holidays are upon us. 
And no, I'm not talking about like our pants size increasing or the number growing when we step on the scale during the holiday season. Um, it's something actually that, that I experienced with my son. I saw my son experience this for the first time the last time we took him to the beach. My son loves the beach. I mean, that kid could play in the water, capture sand crabs, and build sand castles literally all day long. We have to drag him away from the beach. Um, and now that he's five, I thought that it was about time to show him like how fun the beach could really be. So, so I put his, uh, his little Finding Nemo floaties on, and, and I looked at him, and I said, Jericho, today we are going to go out far. And he was hesitant, but he trusts me, which maybe he shouldn't, and, and, and he said, okay, daddy. And, and he, he was super brave. Like, we walked out, and, and the waves started, like, hitting him in the chest. That's how far we'd gotten out, and, and, and he looked at me with this, like, courage, and he said, daddy, take me further. And I was like, yes. So we went out further. And after a few more steps, I had to pick him up because the waves were like breaking on his face. And, uh, but that didn't stop us as we continued to trek out into the Pacific Ocean. Um, the waves weren't that big that day. So I was pretty confident that Jericho was going to have an amazing first experience uh, going out past where he could stand for the very first time. And that's when I saw what the deadliest catch captains call a rogue wave. Uh, it was shaping up to be a big one, and, and I knew that I didn't have time to like run back to shore with Jericho, and if I were by myself, I was in a position where normally I would just dive underneath the wave. But I had my son with his extremely buoyant and annoying Finding Nemo floaties on. <laughs> so we could not physically go under the wave. We had no choice but to run toward this massive body of water that was set to ruin our day. Um, when, a, when, it, when it hit us, it was about four feet over my head, and it came with all the force of a 10-foot wave. So much force that even though I turned my back to absorb the shock and was holding on to Jericho as tightly as I possibly could, he flew out of my arms. Um, all, I, all I could see was white. But luckily, somehow, I reached my hand out toward the direction where he was flying, and I grabbed on to the back of his floaties, and I held on as tight as I possibly could, and, and I was able to pull him back in. And I hugged him, and I looked at him, and I, I just kind of like was speechless for a moment, and Jericho was like rubbing water and wiping um, his hair out of his eyes, and he looked at me, and he said, Daddy, did I drown? I said, no, no, buddy, you didn't. Daddy had you the whole time. <laughs> but let's not tell mommy about this. <laughs> See, after that wave hit us, I saw something in Jericho that I had never seen in him before, at least not to that extent. He was terrified and worried, but, but more so than anything else, I saw anxiety in my son. He was anxious. You see, each and every single one of us experience what Jericho experienced that day. Um, for most of us, it's a daily occurrence and something a lot of us walked into church today dealing with at a pretty high level. Stress, anxiety, worry, and fear. Take a moment real quick and just identify and picture the thing that has caused you the most stress or anxiety just in this past week. Start to picture that in your brain. I'm guessing that most of us were able to come up with something, to identify something, because we're stressed out people. Like, most of us worry. 
Um, if you don't believe me, then, then let's do something a little different today. Let's, let's take a little quiz. This quiz is adop- adapted from um, Harvard research professor Edward M. Hallowell. And uh, as we go through the quiz, there's nine questions. Score yourself from zero to three. Zero being not at all, and three being definitely yes, um, and everything in between, which is just one and two. That's everything in between, zero, one, two, or three. Um, and don't worry, you're the, you're the only one who's going to know the answers to this quiz. I'm not going to be like, okay, who scored 15? Um, we're not going to do that. Uh, so be honest. Uh, and if you need to keep track, get out your phone and, and tally that up or, or grab a pen or, or just be good at math. Um, uh, okay, you ready? Nine questions, zero to three. First question, do you wish you worried less? Zero, not at all. Three, definitely yes. I'm probably a two on that one. Um, do worries sometimes pop into your mind and take over your thinking like annoying little gnats? That keeps me up at night, like three to four nights a week. I've got something that just annoys me that I'm worrying about nonstop. All right, number three. Do you find compliments or reassurance hard to take? Number four. Are you more concerned than you wish you were with what others think about you? Zero to three. All right, number five. Do you procrastinate? The people who, uh, who marked a three on this one are actually still on number four, so we have to give them a moment. <laughs> All right, <laughs> number six. Do you avoid confrontations? Number seven. Do you think your worrying might prevent a negative outcome? Number eight. Do you worry about your worry? <laughs> you sometimes feel like God is disappointed at your, at your lack of faith. All right, and the last one, number nine, serious question, answer at zero to three, are you worried about what your score will be on this quiz? <laughs> okay, tally up your score, figure out what, uh, what your final number is, and let's go over the results. If you scored a zero on this test, A, um, you had a really easy time adding up all your answers, um, but B, you are either a remarkably confident person or you're in complete self-denial, one of the two. <laughs> if your score is nine or less, then you are only slightly troubled with worry. If your score is nine to eight, or 10 to 18, then you may often find yourself troubled by anxiety. If it was over 18, then anxiety is probably a major source of pain in your life. And if that's you, you may want to seriously consider talking to a doctor or, or finding a good counselor. See, I think if we're honest, a lot of us know and can admit that in some way, Worry impacts our lives. Each one of us experiences situations and circumstances that weigh us down. Some of the most popular things that cause us anxiety are our work. Um, I can't tell you how much anxiety work causes me because I'm currently working, so um, we'll we'll leave that one alone. Um, The second one is struggling relationships. That causes a lot of anxiety, whether that be marriage or friendships or dating relationships. Um, The third one is, is parenting. I go through this every single day. I, lo- I look at my son and go, I wonder if I'm ruining this child's life. Like, this could be all bad. Uh, fourth is finances. The, the, the fifth one that, that is pretty common is loneliness. Um, another one is declining health or the declining health of a loved one. And, and the last one that, uh, that I learned about this past week is concern for the future. This one, actually, for American citizens in 2017 is the thing that causes us the most anxiety, more than anything else. 
See, these things all, all cause anxiety. They cause us to feel overwhelmed. Some of us even walked into church today, one out of every 14 of us to be exact, who live with this as a medical diagnosis over our life. And there are some of us who've been pushing our anxiety aside because we feel guilty that we even have anxious thoughts in the first place. If that's you, maybe you're asking yourself, uh, que yourself questions like, what do I have to worry about? Or, or what's wrong with me that I can't deal with all of this? It's anxiety that has been sidelined by guilt, which slowly feeds the guilt, which feeds the anxiety, which feeds the guilt. And you see how miserable of a cycle this can be. All of us, each person looking at me right now on all of our campuses and those online, in some way, shape, or form, walk through anxiety. And for too long, it's been unacceptable or, or, or just, just weird to talk about in church. We have to talk about this. We need to understand and realize how real and prevalent and soul-draining anxiety and worry is. And to do so, we first have to agree and believe that as a church, as a community of believers, that we can start at this place and all admit that it's okay to not be okay. We have to start here. It's okay to not be okay. Because, you see, when we can't admit this, when we, we don't create safe environments for someone to express and declare that, hey, I'm not okay, then the individual who is hurting and struggling will internalize their, their fear and their worry and their anxiety and will stay stuck in a cycle of pain. So can we agree together that it's okay to not be okay? That this is a safe community, that all of our campuses are safe communities to admit your struggles in and say, hey, I'm not doing all right. I think when we begin from this place, we can help someone who is not okay make sure that they don't stay that way. And I think Peter's insight to the persecuted church here in 1 Peter 5 speaks to this very issue so well. Um, last week, Pastor Steve left us with verse 6, and we're actually going to pick up right in verse 6, where, where Pastor Steve left us last week. And here's what we read. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humility. Thinking of yourself less. A remarkable thought to a group of people facing intense persecution, trusting in God's provision and protection when everything inside you screams, self-preservation, and self-care. Even more fascinating is this next thing that Peter writes to the persecuted church in Asia Minor. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, we remember that Peter is writing to a group of people whose jobs and homes and security and safety, whose, whose very lives were threatened, and they didn't know what to do which is exactly how anxiety plays out in our lives. The feeling like I need to do something or correct something, but I have no clue what that is or what to do. That's anxiety. It's like a raw nerve that we don't know how to soothe. Um, when things are difficult and we don't know how to respond or, or how to react, our natural response is to try, is to, try to preserve our well-being and our safety. Peter's writing to that right here. This is at least a 2,000-year-old issue. And here, Peter is, is, is giving the church 
instruction for how to deal with anxiety. He, he says, be humble. Think of yourself less. Admit that you don't have control while remembering who has you. He says, cast all your anxiety on God. I love that word, cast. It's such an energetic word. I mean, Peter didn't say, lay all your care upon him. Because we have to do it more emphatically than that. To cast something means to like chuck it or, or heave it or throw it on God. To, to throw our anxiety to him. When we read this word in the Greek, it actually carries with it the connotation of putting the responsibility on God. To look at whatever it is that's causing anxiety or worry and saying, hey, this isn't my responsibility. I'm not in control of this. So here, God, I cast this on you. I give you the responsibility. You see, when we feel like we're in control of whatever it is that's causing us worry, that's when we see our anxiety levels rise. It would help us when, when we're struggling with anxiety to think back to how God has provided or, or come through in the past, to remember God's previous provision. Because we know that when we give over responsibility, we are admitting and declaring, I'm not in control. One of the best ways, and I know it sounds like the church answer, but one of the best ways to do this is through prayer. And prayer like we read in Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If you struggle with worry, let it be a trigger for prayer. Like as soon as you catch yourself worrying or, or being anxious about something, go through the scripture and meditate on a passage like Psalm 23. Just read it and, and, and sit with it for a while and pour through it and allow it to, to sink into your soul. Or, or take a deep breath and make it a breath prayer, something like, God, all my concerns are yours. It's one of my favorite things to do in the, middle, in the middle of a busy day. Stop and take one of those prayers that just refocuses and resettles my heart on God. I mean, that's what prayer is. It's talking to God about whatever is on your heart. And it's also telling God how you feel when you feel it. Have you ever really tried this? Praying as anxiety or worry happens, like right in the thick of it? A good friend of mine told me that she feels and, and finds that in the middle of, of social anxiety or a coming panic attack or even just the under-the-surface worry that comes in the day or at night, she feels incapable, incapable of praying beautiful prayers. And I totally understand where she's coming from. For me, in those moments of stress and anxiety and worry, prayers at those times do not sound like beautiful prayers we find in Scripture. They sound like, hey, God, where are you? I can't handle this today. Or, God, I need help. Or, oh, here we go again. What if even in those moments we chose to pray? Pray to the God who we may not feel close to. Pray when we're, when we're mad at him. Pray mid-panic attack. I mean, that's, that's real prayer. When we voice our concerns to God, we are, we are putting off our worry. We are casting off our worry, and we are putting on peace when we ask God for help. 
Paul writes that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we receive from prayer, the peace of God. It's, it's a surrendering of one's will. You remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and then what's the next part? <laughs> thy will be done. Not, not my will. Thy will be done on earth right here as it is in heaven. When we humble ourselves before God and surrender all that we're anxious about, we are casting our worries onto him. In other words, we're putting the ball in God's court, admitting we don't have all the answers, that we don't know what's going to happen, that, that we may not have what it takes. We, we may not be able to remove the illness. We may get overlooked for the promotion. We may be, we may be rejected by people in our social cir circle. We may not get the job. But in those moments when we don't know what to do, instead of trying to take control and worrying about something we have no power over, let's take this command seriously, to cast our anxiety on God. And maybe for you, casting your anxiety on God takes a physical action step. Maybe it's speaking your anxiety or your worry out loud to another human being. Maybe it's being honest with the reality of what you're actually dealing with and how little control you have over that specific situation. Whatever it looks like for you, cast that on God and then trust the promise that Peter gives us right after. What does he say? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I mean, how incredible is that? God cares for us. And we'll all deal with, with anxiety or worry. I mean, it's okay to not be okay, but do not forget this enduring promise that God cares for you. He cares so much that when you're not okay, he'll make sure to help you not stay that way. Peter gives us a few other awesome action step, steps over the next couple verses. He says, um, verse eight, be alert and of sober mind, then he, then he writes, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around trying to, to devour you like a roaring lion. You know what's interesting about lions is that when they hunt, they use their roar very effectively. Um, the loudest lions are usually the oldest and they use the suddenness and loudness of their roar to scare their prey into the waiting teeth of the younger lions in the pride that are hiding in the bush. In the 21st century, I think the devil is using his roar to scare us toward the captivity of our own fear, anxiety, and worry. And for many of us, that fear has been or currently is right now in this moment devouring us. It's the stronghold the enemy has over our life. Our anxiety and our stress is causing us to be less self-controlled while, while desiring more control. We are less healthy and more afraid of what the future holds. It causes us to desire comfort, and, and it's making us miss on the adventurous and compassionate and complete life that God has for us. It's clouding our minds. It's keeping us from being alert and sober-minded. Earlier this week, I read about the chemical in our brain called cortisol. It's, it's the chemical that is released when we feel like something is wrong or there's a threat around. If, if we didn't have this chemical, we would only be alerted to danger when we actually saw something wrong or the, the terrible thing was already happening to us. Um, have, you ever, have you ever watched, have we got any National Geographic fans out there? Do you guys watch National Geographic? Have you ever, have you ever watched when um, 
there's like this adorable little gazelle eating food, and then all of a sudden it becomes food. Have you, have you seen that? You're like, oh, it's so cute. Oh, okay, it's dead. Um, but there are a lot of times, there are a lot of times on these shows, right, where, where the little gazelle is, is eating, and then all of a sudden he like looks around and freaks out and sprints away and actually gets away because the lion's too exhausted to continue to chase. Well, the thing that makes the gazelle try and escape the threat is this, is this warning system that is alive in every social mammal, including us, called cortisol. And it's only supposed to fire off when we sense a threat and then leave when that threat has passed. But when anxiety works its way through our minds, it is present longer than it's supposed to be. And cortisol begins to work against us. It actually inhibits the release of oxytocin, the chemical that makes us feel empathy, which then causes us to be more concerned with ourselves and less concerned with others. It battles against the humility that Peter is writing about right here in 1 Peter 5. It keeps us from being sober-minded. See, this is one of the main avenues in which the enemy is attempting to devour us in 2017. He's making sure we are not okay, but the bigger battle that he is fighting and attempting to win is that the enemy is doing whatever he can to make sure we stay that way. Look what Peter writes next. Resist him standing firm in the faith. And how do you do that? What's the instruction he gives? What's so important to hold on to? He says, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. The family of believers... I mean, it's no mistake that as Peter writes to the persecuted church, he reminds them that they're not alone, and they shouldn't try and go at it alone. He says, you're in it together. You're alert, you resist, and you stand firm together with the family of believers that are all going through the same thing. You see, we can't fight alone, and we can't worry alone. If we are to battle our enemy and all of his deceptions and all the ways he causes us to try and, and focus just on us and our own well-being, if we're, to, if we're to come against that, we have to go at it together. We have to stand firm together. Picture like Roman soldiers standing firm in battle. Roman soldiers who used to wear these shoes called Caligate. They're thick-soled military uh, sandals that had iron nails protruding underneath that provided better traction on rugged ground. They actually allowed them to stand firm and fight. But they also did something else. When thousands of Roman, Roman soldiers would march through the streets, it was an intimidating noise because of these iron nails at the bottom of their feet. You could hear him coming from a long way off, and it was not a sound you wanted to hear. It, it made him sound like an infinite, powerful army coming to attack. It was, it was loud. You know, when I, when I picture this, I think of the power and authority that comes from a group of people marching together. I was talking to a single mom last week, and she, she told me that knowing she is not alone in her suffering is so comforting to her. She said, Steve, Praise God for divorce care. Praise God for my single mom's community group. These are my people. She said, they hold my arms up in battle. They help me to stand firm in my faith. If you're not okay, then don't go at it alone. Don't worry 
alone. We need to be surrounded by our family of believers who have experienced the same suffering we have and walk through it together. I believe, like that single mom that I was talking to knows, that when the church marches together, the sound of our feet hitting the ground is louder than an entire battalion of Roman soldiers. It's louder than than the roar of the loudest lion. When we march together, we stand firm and we fight for one another, regardless of what people are going through. To be a, a group of people, a community of people who agree that it's okay to not be okay, but also commit that we will do whatever we can to make sure you or me or whoever doesn't stay that way. I mean, that's what the church is, right? Like, that's why we're here. And if we're not doing that, then, then what are we doing? I mean, this is why we have care groups and support groups and community groups, which if you're not connected in some form of community here at Cornerstone, you need to be. And in our community groups, let's be sure to leave room to pray for one another and allow the space for people to speak what is causing their worry or their anxiety. Let's not settle for half-hearted times of communal prayer where someone who's hurting remains isolated because they don't have the time or the space to completely share their pain. I mean, how many times have you been in a group and and you go around and you say, hey, what can we be praying for you? And somebody says, you know, I've I've got a lot going on in my life, but God knows all of it, so if you could just, just pray for me. If this unspoken prayer request happens in your group, then I, th- I think your group has a problem. Um, the things that are causing us anxiety need to be voiced in front of other people and prayed about by other people. We need to run toward whatever it is that's causing our fear and our worry. You know, the best way to avoid being devoured by a lion is to not run away from the roar toward the pain that awaits on the other side, but rather to run toward the roar to face uncertainty and doubt and pain that we're walking through together with each other, to stand stand firm and fight side by side. But but here's the the tricky part, you guys. For for some of us, when, when we're in the middle of anxiety, especially if it's social anxiety, um, being with other people might be the absolute last thing we'd ever wanna do. Um, You almost wanna like cozy up to the anxiety on your own because you don't know or you don't trust what will happen if you get around other people. So we tend to like hold on to that. And yet this is such a proven helpful tactic for healing anxiety. So I think and I hope we, need, we, we can get to the place um, where we can ask ourselves, are we willing to try being with people anyway? If this is you, can I just encourage you, just try it um, just once. I hope and believe that when you do, you will see the evidence of the power and freedom that is found in our smaller circles. And I also hope and pray that in our groups, we're experiencing what we read in Proverbs 12. Check this out. Proverbs 12, we read, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Are we encouraging one another in our struggles and our weaknesses and our joys and our successes? Are we lifting each other up in the midst of our doubts and worry and fear? And I actually want to stop right here just for a moment because for too long, followers of Jesus have done the exact opposite of cheer people up who have struggled through intense anxiety. See, in the past, struggling, struggling with anxiety in the church has meant that your faith wasn't strong enough or you needed to do something better or be more obedient or something. 
Look, if you take medication for anxiety or depression or anything like that, I hope and pray that you do not feel guilty about that. Christianity has put a terrible stigma on this, and if this is a struggle for you, I just want to say I'm sorry. I apologize on behalf of all the ministers and pastors and churchgoers and how we have approached this topic in the past. Look, if, if you struggle, if you wrestle with anxiety or depression or deep panic attacks, then you are among the most courageous people I know. And I hope, oh man, I hope, that this church is a safe place for you to walk through the journey you're on. My wife's actually one of these people. Um, she takes medication for her anxiety every day. And we often talk about how God knows the inner wiring of her brain and how it affects her life. And if a medication helps balance her out and make her well, then why would she not take that medication? And I think it's time for us as a church to be more kind and find ways to cheer people up that are in a situation where they're not okay. Earlier I talked about the, the chemicals in our brain called, card, called cortisol and um, oxytocin. And as I studied, I discovered that when you receive a kind word or you're affirmed or you feel a sense of belonging, your brain actually releases the chemical oxytocin. It's the chemical in our brain that's responsible for love, friendship, and, and uh, deep trust. And it's because of oxytocin that we feel human connection and, and it's what causes us to like being around other human beings. Um, our brains are actually wired to release oxytocin when we're in the presence of our, our community or our tribe. While on the other hand, when we feel vulnerable or alone, our brain releases cortisol, the chemical that produces the feeling of anxiety. You see, being around others, getting approval and affirmation from others, feeling safe around one another is one of the deepest cravings of the human mind and the human soul. Which, which, by the way, how cool is it that thousands of years ago there was a proverb written that speaks to the very truth of these scientific findings that we know today? I think that's awesome. Um, you know, 15 years ago, I experienced this firsthand when I was asked to preach at a homeless shelter in downtown San Diego on, on 16th Street. Um, they asked me to preach at a church down there, actually. And, and that weekend, I was, I was preaching at my parents' church. And I was teaching on the topic of worry, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to teach the same message in both places because that's less work, and I'm lazy, so we're going to roll with that. Um, my message was on Matthew 6, where Jesus talks a lot about worry. He says, don't worry about your food or your clothes. God will provide. It was such a compelling message to teach to my parents' church in the suburbs of San Diego. It was a terrifying message to preach to a bunch of homeless people who had every right to worry about where their next meal or where their clothes were gonna come from. It was so terrifying and caused me so much anxiety that as I was preaching in this rundown church filled with the homeless community of downtown San Diego, I felt my chest tighten up like I've never felt before as I started to say the words that Jesus spoke. I actually stopped mid-sermon, probably not even mid-sermon, I don't think I got that far. I stopped a few minutes in and looked at the crowd and said, hey, can I just be honest with you guys right now? I'm a little worried while I talk to you. I said, I don't know how to preach this message to you in your current context. I was on the verge of a panic attack. It hadn't happened before and it hasn't happened since. It was a terrible thing, a feeling. 
And that's when one of the guys in the front row looked at me and said, hey, you're doing great. Keep going. I'm praying for you. You know, the irony of all this is not lost on me. I'm anxiously preaching to homeless people about worry, and they're praying for me while I talk. But it, but it was so interesting that as soon as that homeless man in the front row, I, I still remember his name, his name's Henry. As soon as Henry looked at me and offered an encouraging word and told me that he was praying for me, I felt instant relief. That kind word broke down all the barriers and all my uncertainty. My anxiety was weighing down my heart, but a kind word from another human being lifted my soul. It gave me peace. See, I experienced something that night that was just so spirit-filled and God-centered and real and authentic. I got to hang out with those men and women that, that night and after I actually finished the sermon, and I got to hang out with them that night, and it felt like family. Like the family that, that Peter talks about at the end of this letter, like, like the family that God desires for his church. I also realized that night that as soon as I shared what I was really feeling, as soon as I was honest with what, I, with what I was going through, I no longer had to pretend like I was okay. I mean, everyone already knew that I wasn't, but I didn't have to pretend anymore. You see, God wants this, wants us to look more like family than anything else, and when we come to this conclusion about what this is and we live that out, we understand that we can fake it with people we don't know, but we can't fake it with family. It's okay to not be okay. Look, the church is filled with messed up people. I am one of them. And I think sometimes the more pretty we pretend to be on the outside, the more messed up we are on the inside. Are we okay with admitting our struggles and our, and our fears and our worries? Are we okay with saying, hey, I'm not okay? The church is not the place we should be running from when we're, when we're filled with anxious thoughts or, or we're feeling overwhelmed. It's the place I hope that we're running to, but, but we have to create that. Let's make sure that Cornerstone Fellowship and our mission posts throughout the East Bay is a place where we don't feel like we have to fake it. That it's a place we can run to. I'll close with this story. Um, there was a research psychologist named Dr. Harry Harlow um, who became famous for his studies on monkeys and their need for love. If you want to check it out, there's, there's YouTube videos like crazy on this guy. And uh, Harlow conducted one study where he designed two different kinds of monkey moms for two different cages. One mom was made of wire with a bottle of milk, and another was made of terry cloth that offered no food, just the comfort of touch. This is wire mom, and that's uh, terry cloth mom. Much to his surprise, Harlow found that the monkeys spent less than an hour a day with the mom that provided food and over 17 hours a day with the mom who all she provided was the comfort of touch. Harlow then decided to see what the monkeys would do when they were scared, so he set up another experiment. He designed a mechanical monster with flashing lights and waving arms, and he released this monster into the cage with the two fake moms and the monkey which I love monkeys, so I think this is pretty messed up, but apparently this was okay um, in the middle of the 1900s. Um, but in the study, as, as soon as the monkey sees the monster, he doesn't hesitate at all. He freaks out, he's terrified, and he jumps toward the terry cloth mom in a single bound. Harlow notes that this study is not so much about what the monkey runs from, but rather what the monkey runs to. He runs to the one who provides love and comfort. Love and comfort that drives out fear. Harlow even writes that the contact with his 
protector completely changes the monkey's entire personality. The monkey is transformed by love. You see, at first, when the monkey gets to his cloth mom, he's shivering and shaking with fear, and he wraps his entire body around hers. And then his breathing starts to slow down, and he stops shaking. And then all of a sudden, the little monkey turns his head at the monster and begins to snarl at it. And I thought about trying to act that out, but I have no clue how to do a monkey snarl. <laughs> but just picture this. The baby monkey starts growling at the machine that caused so much fear just moments before. He's restored. He has his courage back. You see, this is the picture of a mind that understands who God is to us. We cast our anxiety and our fear on him, and he casts the fear right out of us. Perfect love casts out fear. Our God calls himself our comforter, our rock, our fortress. He's our safety. His perfect love casts out fear, a love that we can experience in and through those around us who are unified in Christ. And when we experience and live this, we understand our enemy, the, the roaring lion, has been declawed and defanged through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He can make all the noise he wants, but we know that together we can face his roar because it has no power over us. And maybe, maybe you're sitting there today and you're thinking, you know what, Steve, I've tried all the stuff you're talking about and it doesn't work. Well, here's the deal. There is always grace and there is always truth, but sometimes it just takes time. Even if you've done everything you can, but regardless of where you're at on your journey, and regardless of how long it takes, know that we are here for you. We can and will march side by side into battle, casting all of our anxiety on God, that when anyone is struggling, we make it so easy for them to run to Jesus and run to us, his bride, his church. Look at verses 10 through 11 with me. This is how Peter finishes this section of scripture off. He says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. It's okay to not be okay. And we commit today to help each other not stay that way to believe with one another that after you have suffered, Christ will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That ultimately together we understand the perfect love of Jesus that casts out fear and anxiety and worry. Our savior is not threatened by our circumstances. He is a grave robbing, water walking, miracle working, death defying God who put you here with this family for a reason. Let's pray. God, I just, um, I come to you, Father, admitting fully who you are and what you're capable of and um, that you're powerful enough for us, all of us, to cast whatever worry or fear or anxiety we have on you, God. So God, I ask that today, any individual who walked into this room or any of the rooms on any of our other campuses, God, or, or for someone watching online, maybe by themselves, that they, they, they hear the call that you're putting out to them, that you're saying, give me 
your fear. Give me your worry. Give me your anxiety. Give me whatever it is that's causing you to miss out on the life I have for you. God, help us to do that. Help us to trust in who you are and the incredible might of of your power. God, I also ask that you hold us as a church accountable, that when someone comes to this place and they say, hey, I'm not okay, that we do whatever we can to make sure that they don't stay that way. God, that this church is a community that is safe, that is welcoming, that is accepting, God, that looks exactly like the family that you intend for us to look, God, that even in those times where we, we might miss it here, that you, you forgive us, God, but that you make us stronger through that process. God, work and move through this, this group of, of people, this family of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. God, we adore you. We love you. We're so grateful for the power and, and incredible um, grace that you have over our lives. Thank you for, for our time today, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.